This is a message from Grace Church, located in Frisco, Texas, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. Grace Church is affiliated with Sovereign Grace Ministries. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. A guest speaker is featured on this message. More information is on our website. I'm coming to the end of some time off. My name is Craig, and I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, so I have been uh, taking some time off here recently, and uh, this week I am back. We'll be speaking next week on a new series we're going to do on community. So uh, I'm coming back and back on the phone, back on the email, and all that kind of stuff. Been a good break, but uh, eager to get back to the usual. So we have a guest preacher here today. If you've been around the church, well, if you were here early in the life of our church, uh, he won't be new to you. If you're more recent and come in the last couple years, uh, he'd be new to you. But his name is Josh Jordan, and so we're thrilled to have uh, Josh and his wife Amanda and their kids with us today. Josh was uh, Josh and Amanda were here before our church, our church started. We started uh, several years ago, a number of years ago. Uh, some folks relocated from California and some other places to help plant this church, and Josh and Amanda were already here, and were wanting to be a part of this church, and from day one, actually before day one, they were involved in the church, and so uh, the very foundation of our church, they were here doing all kinds of stuff, helping us get going. Josh uh, ran our book table when we first started, our little book table. We sold, I think, one Bible and one book by John Piper. In those days, he was running, managing those two books. And uh, so it was great to have him do that. And uh, he was one of our very first small group leaders. And so pretty quickly, uh, as we got to know him, a, a calling and a gifting for pastoral ministry was evident in his life, even as a young guy. And so we were just eager to see where the Lord might lead him, where the Lord might place him, how he would, you know, uh, grow and mature and come into a, a place of responsible leadership. And so he had talked about sending him to our, our pastor's college. We're part of a small network of churches called Sovereign Grace Ministries, and we have a pastor's college. So we thought about sending him there, and um, we're kind of in the works thinking about that. And then one day, uh, I was meeting with you, Josh, at Starbucks, I remember this well, and you just said to me really out of the blue, you know, however I could serve, I'd be happy to do anything. And if that meant uh, serving in another church in our region and helping someone else that needs help, I'd be glad to do that. And uh, so I just sort of filed that away and said, uh, we're selfish and hang on to everybody, so I don't think I'll do that. But, uh, but thanks, thanks for playing. So uh, at any way, three weeks later, uh, I am meeting with a, our, a guy who leads our sister church in a town called Seguin, Texas. It's kind of a rural community about 45 minutes east of San Antonio. And uh, this gentleman had been serving uh, full-time by himself and needed some help. And, and he said, boy, I would love it if we had an intern or someone that could just come and serve. And the light bulbs went off at the point. I just had this conversation with Josh. So I said, I think we may have a guy for you. And so they connected, and make a long story short, we, uh, a few months later, sent Josh to the Pastors College. And so thank you, because you helped fund that, and uh, the church in Seguin helped fund that. It was a joint venture. We covered the expenses to get him there as a student for the year, and then he returned from Pastors College a year ago and did an internship uh, there in this church in Seguin. And just a couple of months ago, uh, 
kind of came up on his one-year anniversary or maybe a month ago, the completion of his internship, and they have decided to stay, and the church is absolutely thrilled to, to have you guys. As I talk to Bob, he just communicates to me about you, Josh, and you, Amanda, how much of a difference you guys are making in that church. And uh, Josh is really carrying a significant load there. They have their own school, and so he teaches Bible this year to junior high and uh, middle school and high school students. And then he also is involved in a lot of pastoral ministry there, teaching ministry in the life of the church. So it has been a joy to see God develop you guys and grow you guys and place you in a place of service. And we want to thank you for coming back for this weekend, kind of a homecoming to see folks that you uh, know and love and that love and know you. And I most of all just want to thank you for your example. Um, Josh, when you said this has always been your posture, what needs to be done? How can I serve? Where can I be involved? That has always been your posture. So to see the Lord take that heart and then equip you and open a door for fruitful ministry for you, um, as a pastor in that church in Seguin, we are so grateful and so grateful for your example because your example is whatever needs to be done, whatever it is, I'm happy to pitch in and serve. And then the Lord has opened doors of fruitful ministry. And that's really a lesson for all of us. Wherever we are, whatever you're doing, uh, serving in the marketplace, in your neighborhood, with your family, wherever you're connecting with people, however you're serving in the church, if, if our attitude is just, God, I'm available. Um, God uses available people and does way more than we would have ever imagined in our lives. And so that's been your story, and we're just thankful that you're staying there, thankful that you're serving, and uh, appreciate your flexibility. It's a different context. It's more of a rural setting than, uh, than this environment, and uh, you have just, uh, they, they just view you as family. You guys have just served and won their affection and trust by coming in and and caring for others and laying down your life. So thank you for your example. Thanks for coming back. Come preach God's word to us. Let's welcome Josh this morning. Thanks, Craig. I appreciate it. Right, good morning. If you would, turn in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 2. As you're turning there, let me just say what a joy it is for Amanda and I to be back, though there are many new faces, there are many familiar faces, many people that we just had relationships here when we were here over two years ago, and even though God has been so kind to grant us new relationships in Seguin, and God really has just blessed us in this last year, um, from day one, the people have just taken us in, cared for us, it really, as Craig said, it really has been family, um, and you know, something Strange happened several months ago when we came back to visit. Someone asked, is it good to, to be home when we were here? And immediately I just felt in my heart and said, well, this isn't home anymore. And really, Seguin is home for us. And God's given us a heart for that city, those people, and we just love it. Um, so it is, it is a joy. But with that said, we miss so many of you guys. It is just, it's, it's bittersweet to come back. We love seeing you, but we wish we could take you back with us. And... Um, not, we would never want to leave those people that God's put us with. We just wish we could take some of you there too. Um, but it's been good. And thank you, Craig and Pete, for letting me have this opportunity. It is a true joy to preach God's word to you this morning. So First John chapter 2, we're going to begin in verse 28. We're going to be reading verses 28 on into chapter 3, verse 3. And John writes, 
And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Let's pray. Father, I just commit this time to you now. And I pray for us all as we open your word. Lord, this is a sacred time. These next few minutes, Lord, we are aware that you are about to address us. So give us ears to hear. And God, give us a posture that is receptive but far more than just a posture that is just hearing another sermon or another speaker. But God, help us to hear you. You want to talk to us today. You have something to tell us. How kind of you, Lord, that you don't leave us to ourselves, but you speak to us. You address us week in and week out. And your word, even though this text may be familiar, you're going to speak to us in a fresh way. And we have confidence and faith in that this morning. So God, give us just ears to hear and a heart to receive it. And God, give us passion about what, what we're, we're about to hear and about to read. God, this is your word and it's good. Help us just to receive it like that. This is good. And God, I pray for myself. Would you just anoint me with the Holy Spirit? God, I've done the work of preparing. Now I just entrust this time to you outside of the Spirit's help. God, I am helpless. I just cry out to you to anoint me. God, my prayer is always this simple thing. I want to be an instrument, not an obstacle. So help me to be an instrument to your word now. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let me give you just a little bit of context. In our church in Seguin, we're actually going through the book of 1 John, and I had the joy of preaching this text last week. So it's kind of been building um, where we're jumping in today. We're jumping in midstream. Um, so it, it may feel a little odd to be jumping into verse 28. I will give a little bit of more context here in a minute. But let's just go ahead and jump into verse 28 and look what John is saying. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. The first thing I want to draw your attention to is John uses this word, abide. And if you look back to verse 27, that's how he ends verse 27. And this is going back to the, the previous passage, verses 18 through 27. You'll see that word a lot. What John has just done in the prior verses is he has reminded these that he's writing He's saying to them, I want you to remain in Christ. 
And it looked like it looks like from the context that somehow they are they are hearing some false teaching that could possibly be shaking their confidence about who Christ is. And John is saying to them, Oh, don't don't be deceived. Remain faithful. Remain confident in who Christ is. You've heard it from us. John's saying, you've heard it from me and from others, but most importantly, the Spirit has testified that He's Christ. So remain confident in Him. But notice, He didn't just want them to be confident on that day or just for a little while, but He is concerned that they'll be confident to the very end. He says, when He appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from Him in shame at His coming. John wants them to remain faithful to the end. This word confidence I draw your attention to is used all throughout the book of 1 John and it really highlights the theme of the book of 1 John. John is writing, though he shares a lot of different things. You could summarize what John is saying in this little book. I just saying I want those who belong to Christ to have confidence in him and assurance that they belong to him and it just to it just to um, give them a sense of of direction and never are they wavering, never are they worried about where they are. I want them to have assurance, complete and full assurance. And one of the ways John is going to let these that he's writing know that they are to have confidence is by helping them to see that those who remain in Christ, who abide in Christ, live righteously. Those who remain in Christ live righteously. Look at back at verse 29. So after he's told them, I want you to have confidence. I want you to have confidence to the very end, to the coming of Christ. He then says, if you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. There's a logic John's sharing here. He says, listen, I want you to be confident, not in your works. I want you to be confident in Christ alone. But if you're in Christ and he's changed you, you will be different. How do you know that? Well, if he's righteous and you're not righteous, there's a problem. If he's righteous and you're not righteous, that should send off alarms and and let you know there's something wrong. Now, what John means by righteous doesn't mean that we're perfect. No, far from perfect, but we're pursuing righteousness I love that word that he used here. He actually says practices righteousness. We're, we're attempting. We're doing all that we can. It doesn't mean that there is no sin remaining in our life. But sin is being put to death. And we are becoming more and more and more like Christ. John uses the same logic earlier in the letter in 1 John chapter, five, or chapter 1, verse 5 and 6. He says, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you. God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. And this brings us to another theme here in in 1 John. Ultimately, John wants them to have assurance. He wants them to have a a, a good, grounded assurance. And he says one of the ways we know we have assurance is not just by basing our confidence in Christ on our profession of faith alone. We cannot base our, our, our assurance in Christ on our profession of faith alone. We must bear the fruit of righteousness. We must live a life that bears the fruit of righteousness. And now look how John 
then after making this point, draws our attention to the fact that not only do we belong to God and therefore we ought to be righteous, but most importantly, one of the reasons we are to be righteous, we are to be different, is because we have been born of Him. Look at the last part of verse 29. Everyone who practices righteousness has been born of Him. And it's at this point, John seems to change course for a moment. He seems to kind of get off path, what, what could seem almost like a tangent to us. John, for three verses, is then going to discuss what it means to be born of him. And, and why he does this is both instructive and awe-inspiring. There's a reason John is doing this. As I studied this text, that, that became clear. Jane, John, uh, John is changing course for a minute. Look at verse 29 again. He uses that word, practice righteousness. Then look then down at verse 4. He says, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. It's like you could take verse 29 and verse 4 and put them right together. Pull out chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, and it would just be a complete flow of thought. But, it's, but in between, something happens. What is it? Why is John doing this? Why is he all of a sudden getting off course for a minute? Well, it, it seems like this term, born of him, cues something off in John's mind. It's like he's saying, okay, I want you to live righteously, and here's the reason why I'm born of him. Oh, yeah, born of him. It's almost like he's got to stop. Hey, I can't move on too quickly. Let's talk about this born of him business. This is good. I want you to understand it. And it's almost like John just gets freshly reminded of this truth, and it just begins to affect him. And this morning, I want us to be freshly reminded and affected by this truth. And as we look at verses 1 through 3 this morning, I think it will become clear in light of the context. If I could summarize our, our, our passage this morning in one sentence, this would be it. I think this will be clear as we look at it. Our identity in Christ should motivate us to pursue righteousness. Our identity in Christ should motivate us to pursue righteousness. And John here, caring for our souls, doesn't just throw out these hard words about practicing righteousness and stop practicing sinning without putting before us this glorious truth about being children of of God, And he's aware that if our identity in Christ is not grounded and rooted and we're not you know, just certain of it, we actually won't practice righteousness. If anything, we will not be fruitful. We will be frustrated in the end. Any pursuit of holiness or righteousness, apart from just being grounded in our identity in Christ, we may, we may go a few steps. We may see a few things change. But in the end, it will not be lasting. And we will become frustrated. We will become condemned. We will be tempted towards legalism. So the reason we are to pursue righteousness is because of who we are in Christ. And I have two points this morning I want us to consider. The first is this. We are called to pursue righteousness as children of God. We are called to pursue righteousness as children of God. Look back at now at verse 1 of chapter 3. John says, see what kind of love the Father 
has given to us. Notice John's tone here. I know it's hard sometimes when we read scripture, it's just words on a page, but I think we're, we're supposed to hear the author's voice. And I think John here is just a wee bit excited. I think he's, he's actually quite passionate about what he's saying here. It's, it's almost like if, as, as I was studying this passage, I just had a picture of John with his hands on his head, just taken back by this love, just saying, this love is so big, how can it be? That's how we're to read these words. How can this love be? I mean, really, is this possible? Can we really be loved like this? John here is not not boasting in God's love for him as if he's worthy of it. Because see, you could read the passage that way. You could read the passage as John's kind of got his chest out. Yeah, see what kind of love the Father has for me? See what kind of love the Father has for you? Almost like we're worthy of it. We deserve it. Of course, why wouldn't he love us? We're lovable. We're great. We do good. We're, we're, we're moral and conservative and whatever it is. Now, John here doesn't have his chest out. John here, is, if anything, is trying to catch his breath. He is staggered by this love. He is undone by this love. This love is breathtaking to him. And I think it's meant to be that way for us this morning. And here's why. Because when we grasp what this passage is saying, we, we're aware of something. God's love for us is based on grace. God's love for us is based on grace. He doesn't love us because we're worthy of it. He doesn't love us because we went looking for him. God loves us out of the overflow of his grace. And that's going to become more clear as we read on. Look what he says next. He says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we, that, we should want, that we should be called children of God. John says, man, okay, this love that I'm just dumbfounded by, here it is. How do we know that we're loved by God? We're children of God. You want to know how God's demonstrated his love for us? We get to call him Father. He calls us his children. That's an amazing thought to John and it should be to us if you're here this morning and you're wondering does God love me do you get to call him father see that's 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 John's point here this this is what John is saying in verse one we shouldn't be children of God you and I should not be children of God and the very fact that we are demonstrates God's love for us can I say that again You and I should not be children of God. And the very fact that we are demonstrates God's love for us. And here's why. Because you and I, before God made us his children, had no concern for him. We cared nothing about his glory. We cared nothing to to give our lives away and to pursue him with everything we have. We were living for other things and other passions. And the fact that he made us his children should just stop us dead in our tracks. And one of the best ways we can understand this idea of being children of God is by focusing in on the word adoption. Now, I know that word is not used here, but that word in the New Testament, when used elsewhere, is so helpful for us to understand what it means to be children of God. And I know that Rick Gamash was just here a few weeks ago from Minnesota. And he did an incredible job of just 
talking about and reveling on this truth of what it means to be children of God. I want to highlight a few of these truths this morning that, that he shared. This term adoption is meant to just remind us of the wonder of being made ch- children of God. And here's how. When we think of the word adoption, it should immediately clue us in that one t- at one time we were not his children and we were apart from him. Isn't that what Paul says in Ephesians 2? At one time, you and I, before we were children of God, were what? We were his enemies. We weren't just not his children. We were spurning our face at him. We we had our fists clenched. We were his enemies. And not just were we his enemies, but we were objects of his wrath. We didn't know his fatherly disposition. All we knew was the wrath of God that was on us. We did not know his promises. All we knew was just being apart from him, separated from him. And that term adoption reminds us of that. Before we became children of God, you and I once belonged to the world. Look back at chapter 2, verse 15 and then 17. John says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Verse 17, and the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Here's the truth. Before we became children of God, we loved the world and the things of the world and one day would have perished with the world. But God in his great love made us his children. And so this morning, these should be more than just words on a page. Our hearts right now ought to just feel the, 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 the delight and the passion that John wrote with. And, and we should be able to say along with John, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And here's the best part. And so we are. Amen? This morning we are, whether we feel like it, we are. And that just, that ought to stop us dead in our tracks. That we are children of God. But before we move on, we can never talk about this topic of adoption apart from understanding the immense cost that was required to make us children of God. Look at 1 John chapter 4, verse 10. This love that John is talking about in verse 1. Here, John helps us to better understand what this love is like when he writes, And this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. That word propitiation means that we, as I said a minute ago, were objects of His wrath, but instead of Him pouring that wrath out on us in order for us to become children of God, He took His Son and what we deserved, He received. And now we are children of God. Calvary, Calvary must always be in view when discussing our relationship and our place in the family of God. Here's why. Here's why Calvary must always be in view when we talk about being children of God. 
Because our adoption by the Father was made possible by the sacrifice of the Son. We can't call him Father and forget our brother who died in our place. So this morning, once again, I want to know that you're loved. Outside of the fact you can call yourself a child of God, maybe you're not feeling like a child of God this morning. You want something objective to know, how, how do I know that God loves me? Here it is, Calvary. A bleeding Savior. A Savior who experienced God turning His face from Him. Who experienced my sin and your sin poured out on Him. That's God's love for us this morning. That's God's love for you. Now here's, here's how this truth is meant to motivate us to pursue righteousness. Because that's why John's sharing this here. He's not just talking about the topic of being a child of God or adopted by God for no reason. He, he's motivating them to pursue righteousness. And here's how that does, does that. At least for me, two things really stuck out to me as I thought about how does this motivate us to pursue holiness and righteousness? Here's the first one. When we meditate on the fact that we are children of God, it makes us grateful to God, does it not? Imagine with me for just a second, and this was very sweet last week as I got to preach this message and I was at this point. We have a church filled with people who not only adopted, but they have adopted children from all over the world. There's probably three or four families in our church that have adopted from places like Uganda is primarily the, the place. And so as I was getting to this point, my, I, was just, I could look out and see their faces. And I had a living illustration. And it was so sweet to think about. They're, these are people that are living examples of what God has done for us. But imagine with me for a second that you were an orphan in a far-off land among thousands of orphans. And you're sick and you're hungry, and there's no one to take care of you. And the few people that can take care of the orphans have too many to take care of. And one day, someone shows up and picks you up, holds you to themselves, looks at you, and says, you're mine. You're mine. And then they take you home, and they open up their house to you, and you're never a second-class citizen. You're one of their children. Some of these people from our church, they actually have children of their own, natural children. You would never know which ones are their natural children, which ones are their adopted children. They love them the same. And you know what? If that's, if that's your story, if you were one of these children and you were rescued and just a beneficiary of, of such love and grace, wouldn't you be grateful? Guess what? This morning, that is our story. That is our story. That is my story. That is your story as children of God. We didn't go looking for God out of millions lost, out of thousands lost. God came, picked us up, and said, you're mine. And if that was your story, physically speaking, wouldn't you be grateful to those parents? The last thing you would want to do is dishonor them. There'd be a sense of gratitude in your heart. And that's how we're to feel about the Lord and about our, our God. We can call him Father. And here's why that makes a difference. Here's why gratitude will motivate you to pursue righteousness. 
this God who's calling us to holiness is our good father. He's not the cosmic killjoy telling you, stop having fun. Don't do that. Well, a lot of times we can think that way when we think about holiness and righteousness. And, and there's places in 1 John that can get quite scary by the languages. If we forget this is our God, this is our Father addressing us. He may have tough words for us, but He's our Father. And our response should be, because He's rescued us, I want to please you. I want to please you. Not because I have to, because you're making me, not because I'm fearful, but because why would I not? You went through immense cost to get me. You killed your son on my behalf. Why would I not want to? See, gratefulness to God changes how we see the commands of God. And if that's not good enough, not just will we be grateful to God if we meditate on this truth, but by meditating on this truth that we are children of God, here's what will become clear. God has a guaranteed and good inheritance for us. God has a guaranteed and good inheritance for us. Listen to these words by J.I. Packer from his book, Knowing God. He says, the reason for adopting in the first century world was specifically to have an heir to whom one could bequeath one's goods. So God's adoption of us makes us his heirs and so guarantees to us the inheritance that, we ha- that he has in store for us. Have you ever thought about that? The reason God has adopted us is because just like in, in this time, in this culture, a man would go through great cost to adopt someone if he did not have, especially a living son, because he wanted to bestow his inheritance on someone. That's our God. He wants to bestow his inheritance on on us. Listen to Paul's words in Romans 8, 16 and 17. Paul's reveling in this truth. We are God's children. Now if we are his children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. We have, because we are children of God, we have an inheritance that's guaranteed. We don't have to worry one day, what's it going to be like if I give up the world? If we call ourselves children, it's guaranteed because of our status that if we pursue righteousness, there will be a reward and it'll be sweeter than anything our minds could ever imagine. It's not just a guaranteed reward, it's a good one. That's what struck me as I was just even thinking back to those verses we just read in in chapter 2, verses 15 and 17. When we're told to not love the world, See, you and I will have trouble obeying that command not to love the world if we think the world has something to offer. If we think that if we don't pursue the world, we'll miss out on something. But see, this this truth that we are God's children and He has an inheritance for us and it's good, we will never, ever, ever wonder. If I don't pursue that, will I miss out? No, the answer is no. No. Why would God withhold any good thing from his children? Isn't that that Jesus' point in Matthew? When he tells us to pray, and he says he's a good father, and he gives great gifts to his kids. If If an earthly father who's evil compared to him knows how to give good gifts, how much more 
Will our Father not give good gifts to his children when they ask him? That's our God. So when he's telling us, refrain from that. Don't do that. Forsake that. Once again, not a cosmic killjoy. Our Father, who's saying, first of all, I know what's best for you, and that's not good. But most importantly, you know why I'm telling you not to go for that? Because I've got something so much better. You can't see it with your eyes right now. And if I was to tell you, you couldn't even perceive it. Isn't that what Paul says in Ephesians 3.20? He's going to do something so immeasurably great, so good, that we can never even think to ask for it or imagine it if he told it to us, right? That's, that's what we have in store. And that's why we're to pursue righteousness and to forsake the world and to forsake sin. What a difference this doctrine makes that we are children of God. Not only will this doctrine of, of being children of God motivate us to pursue righteousness, but our second point is this. When we are called, we are called to pursue righteousness is those who will eventually be like Christ. We are called to pursue righteousness is those who will eventually be like Christ. Look back in verse 2 with me. John says, beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. John's just, I love John's saying beloved, just speaking to them with such tenderness and affection, just saying, oh, just making eye contact with them and just saying, listen, listen. I want you to abide and I want you to do it to the very end. And here's the good news. When that end comes, there will be no more hoping or wondering. We will see him as he is. But here, if, if that couldn't get any better, if that could not get any better, John says, not just will we see him like he is, but we'll be like him. We will be like him. He says, the world does not notice that now. It can't see that. Remember, it rejected me. Why would it not reject you? You don't walk around as Christians with some aura about you, glowing as you walk through the mall in Frisco. Nobody sees that you're a child of God because you have some, you know, glow. No, we, we look normal. We look mortal. But one day we will be like him. And that's meant to motivate us. Here's why. Because if we, I, I, I'm just aware of this in my own life. We will pursue something and work hard for something if we know it's not in vain. You will put a lot of time and energy and effort into something if you know in the end it will pay off. For instance, let me give you an illustration. Whether you've ever dieted or worked out, and as I told the first service, as you can tell by looking at me, I'm speaking from second-hand experience, because I've never dieted nor worked out. Um, but if you've done that, you know that maybe, let's say, you, you started dieting to give up those foods you loved. That was hard. And it maybe never became easier along the way. But here's what motivated you to go on. As you went on, and as you put so much time and energy into it, you started losing that weight you wanted to. And you started changing. Or you started working out and it never gets easy every morning when you get up and that alarm clock goes off. And you go to the gym. You would much rather be getting that other hour of sleep 
But in time, once again, you've lost weight or you've put on um, some, some pounds in, in regards to muscle. You, you, it's still hard, but it's worth it. And that's what John is, is, is trying to remind us of today. Listen, we're not striving after something that we have to cross our fingers and go, man, I hope this is all going to be worth it in the end. Boy, if I'm going to put all this time and energy, like, can there be some type of guarantee that I'm going to get something in the end? And John says, oh, yeah, you're going to get something in the end. You're going to be like him. You ever seen that show, The Biggest Loser? I don't know how many of you have ever seen that show. You don't have to raise your hand. Some, some of you might be embarrassed. I've watched the show, I admit. The Biggest Loser. You know these people, they go and they, they start out just with way too much weight that's unhealthy for them. And they commit over how many ever weeks to just basically go through a boot camp. It's just brutal to lose all this weight. And what's amazing about the show I could do without all the drama of the show. But what's amazing is to see what those people look like when it's done. What they look like when they step out on that stage at the grand finale, at the the reveal. I mean, your jaw just drops. You're like, there's no way that could be the same person. They don't even look the same. I mean, yeah, if I really look at their face, I mean, it's that drastic. And you know what John's saying here? John is doing kind of that thing. He, he's holding up to us an after picture. He's saying, you may not feel like you look this way, and you don't look this way now, but you will. Here's the after picture. That is, that's what John is, is doing so that we will continue to, to, to push on and to, to press ahead and, and to, to work hard for, for holiness. But all, once again, The reason he's having us do this, the reason he's motivating in this way, is not so that we see God in a wrong way or we're we're making our life about our works or about what we can and cannot do. No, we're motivated by love. We're motivated as children of God and we're motivated ultimately because one day we know it'll all be worth it when we're like him. Look at verse three and this is how we'll close. Verse three of chapter three. John says, And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. I wonder if far too often in our strategy to become more holy, adopt a lot of steps and programs. And sometimes there, the action has to be taken. But it's interesting here, it's John, before he then launches into this next section to tell him to stop practicing sinning. He tells them, you want to be pure? Hope in him. Hope in him. Think about him. These truths we've talked about this morning, these truths that Rick Gamash was just here a few weeks ago talking about this doctrine of adoption, think about these things. These truths, I would would encourage you to study that topic. I don't know if you have it on your bookstore, but there is a, a little book called Children of the Living God by Sinclair Ferguson. It's a small little book, and by far, it is the best book on the topic of adoption. I encourage you, begin there. Just know the, who you belong to, who your God is, what's your relationship with him, and that, and, and that will motivate you in the right way. Finally, in closing, here's what I want to do. I want to hold out 
to us all as we leave here this morning and go back into our weeks and we pursue righteousness. I want to hold up that after picture. I want to hold up that after picture for us all. One day, brothers and sisters, we will no longer have angry outbursts. And one day, brothers and sisters, we will no longer say things that wound. And one day, we will no longer have anxiety or worry or doubt. One day, we will no longer struggle with envy or jealousy or greed. One day, we will no longer contend with our pride. One day, we will no longer struggle with lust. One day, we will no longer be gripped by fear. One day, we will no longer be bitter or unforgiving. One day, we we will have no trouble loving God as we should. One day, we will have no trouble loving our neighbor as ourselves. And here's why. Because one day, we will be like Him. Amen? That is meant to motivate us. That is supposed to launch us into the rest of our week so that next time you and I are facing that sin and we are tempted to give in, God just wants to hold up that picture before us, that after picture, and says, you may not feel like it, you may not look like it, but one day that is your destiny. And that's meant to motivate us to pursue righteousness and holiness. Let's pray. Father, And and that's amazing that we can call you that. Thank you for your fatherly instruction to us today. That your agenda for today, as we came in this room from long weeks and a lot on our hearts and our minds, was to remind us all of a glorious truth. A truth that's meant to transform us. You, you are so kind this morning to remind us that we belong to you. We shouldn't, but we do. And that is so sweet, Lord, because you have great things for us if we'll just finish the race. If we'll just continue on and press ahead and not lose our confidence. God, I pray for everyone here this morning for both services. Lord, would you allow Grace Church to be filled with people who pursue righteousness till the very end. Would you help them as a church to do that corporately, but would you also help them as individuals in their own hearts and their own families that battle sin daily? God, give us the right motivation. And that motivation is that we're your children. God, would you transform us by this truth this morning? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit www.gracechurchfrisco.org.